Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. What? In and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that will suck the life out of you. My name is Greg D. And I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're talking one of the seminal films from Toby Hooper's canon. And no, mm-hmm. we're not talking chainsaws, we're not talking clowns, we're talking the literal canon. Mm-hmm. One of the trilogy in his canon films, I mean, we are of course talking, and ah, it's taken us this long. But so good. Yeah, oh, so good and so good and then some. It's 1985's Life Force. Yes! Yes. But before we get into that, guys, let me remind you, we are part of the ever-expanding Boom Howdy Podcast Network. Boom Howdy where you can find all of our past episodes and new shows, including Nerd Soup. You can find all of those over at BoomHowdy.com. Or if you like me and you like to listen to us on the go, simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud app. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will upload directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your force hole. I was waiting for that one. And don't forget, guys, we are also on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead and on Twitter at Nightmare Junk because... That's just fun to say, nightmare junk. <laughs> and you can uh, keep up with all of our nightmarish shenanigans there. And speaking of nightmarish shenanigans, you guys, the uh, this is going to be dropping on the day that if you're in the Kansas City area, <laughs> yes, Crypticon is here, you guys. Yep, yep, yep. And so we're going to be there. We're going to be over at the uh, Kansas City Horror Club booth. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking. We're going to be podcasting. So if you're in the Kansas City area. Come down. Say hey. Absolutely, yeah. you guys. This is the best time of the year mm-hmm. because we get to celebrate and talk all things horror. Fuck yeah. This is kind of like our Halloween. Christmas. Christmas ween. Uh, absolutely. A Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. <laughs> I mean, it's all in one, so I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to have a blast there. Hanukkah. Oh, Hanukkah. Oh, that, that gets dang- steers yeah. dangerously <laughs> close there. Let's not get on that precipice there. That's a little slippery. Um, so we are going to be talking uh, Toby Hooper's Life Force today, and we have a sister podcast called Nerds of Nostalgia that mm-hmm. we host, and that film is all about you know looking at all the nostalgic Movies, music, television, and so forth from our past. Just a trip back in time for Very us. Very much so. And with Nightmare Junkhead, one of our kind of our rules was, you know, to always take in new horror films. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to make sure we were exploring new horror because we cover a lot of stuff on nerds. Talk a little bit about everything. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But there are certain times, and this is one of them, uh, we have a segment called The Cult Callback. Yes. Where we take a look at films that didn't do well initially on their theatrical run. But, but deserved to be seen. Very much so. But they had that audience through the VHS days. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's where we kind of cut our teeth, if you will, yeah. on the VHS run. Because a lot of these films we didn't get to see in their initial theater run, but man, we just absorbed them. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, quite, yeah. Yeah, yeah, an apt comparison <laughs> there. Um, so we kind of were raised on this film. This is one we saw a lot. But I thought it would be interesting to bring in another perspective, uh, a virgin eyes, if right. you will, to this film. And so on the Nerds of Nostalgia, you've heard him before. If you've seen us live, he is our sound guy. Um, he is the host of the Media Rewind podcast. I hope you guys have that in your regular rotation. It's a lot of fun. They just did a Predator episode that was fantastic. Welcome to the first time to Nightmare Junkhead, the host of the Media Rewind podcast, Dustin Pryor. Hello, everyone. How are you? I'm great, guys. How about yourselves? Fantastic. And if you can't tell, I don't know if you've necessarily heard the ambiance, mm-hmm. but... 
again, we are getting our Walden on here. Uh-huh. We are outside in the backyard recording. <laughs> and we haven't done this for Nightmare Junkhead since mm-hmm. last year. Since Halloween Hangover. Or Halloween yeah. Hangover, yeah. yeah. And so this is what's really nice to be able to do this every now and again because it's so damn nice out. It's gorgeous outside. It's like the calm before the storm. Exactly. The only thing we're kind of waving off are a few mosquitoes, so they're uh-huh. out for our blood, which is kind of appropriate given the nature and the topic of tonight's film. Blah. Blah from Blah. space. <laughs> if vampires from beyond the moon. So when you think canon films, I don't know if you necessarily think automatically horror films. Right. Um, again, if you've listened to the Nerds of Nostalgia, we love the canon film group. Oh, most definitely. The whole uh, cheesy action of it. All the like, action, all the titty films, the mm-hmm. sexploitation. He-Man. He-Man. <laughs> my God, over-the-top Cobra. Right. You don't necessarily gravitate towards horror with mm-hmm. canon, but it's always forgotten that they had some really good horror films. Yeah. And it's also even more forgotten the fact that Toby Hooper did a trilogy of horror films for him. <laughs> um, and we're going to focus on Life Force, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the other two initially. Um, the first one chronologically was Life Force in 1985. Is that a predator or a chain? Oh, Jesus, that's someone's rubbing up the chainsaw. Oh, shit. Dude, that's okay. So let's talk Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two first, then, <laughs> for our friend Leatherface there in the backyard. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, the follow-up to the original and the such most- a tonal shift, batshit insanity. Which I think is kind of what he was obviously going for. Apparently, mm-hmm. he knew he wanted to make a comedy. But then Cannon and all of them started getting the footage, and they're like, oh, why is this so funny? We need more gore, you know, Golan Globus. <laughs> we want spookies. Everybody loves the spookies. So they had to go in and, and retroactively kind of retro, retrofit it, if you will. But ultimately, it makes one of the most tonally jarring, batshit crazy films. No, real hunt. Oh, my God. Uh, just iconic performances. In fact, we are going to be hopefully talking a little bit more intimately about Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes. Part 2. Coming so, soon. Coming soon, definitely. But then let's also talk a little bit about Invaders from Mars. To me, that's like the lesser of the Toby Hooper trilogy. Because it's his love letter to the Invasion B movies. The 50s films, right? Yeah, and even had like the little Krang guy and the uh, A-E-I-O-U. I finally revisited it after it had been a while since I've seen it, and I didn't remember it as fondly. But through, viewing it through those lens, through someone that's just a pure nostalgic trip, it's perfect. I mean, he recreates the the, the aesthetics mm-hmm. for the 50s, just that... The whole film. even monsters, what they thought they would look like, yeah. It's kind of beautiful that way. Now we do have the dogs barking, so that's good. The chainsaw has been appeased. Uh, <laughs> but this is definitely a film that I think re-warrants a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Scream Factory put out a great DVD of it, so definitely check it out. But again, chronologically, Life Force came first. <laughs> and... If you were to try to describe Life Force to someone genius, how would you describe it? Um, space vampires <laughs> fucking shit up and being really hot at the same time. Uh, that's, I think, less than ten words. I think that's pretty apt. Yeah, does it break out the fingers? Uh, is it... Twelve. Twelve? Okay, that's not bad. A dozen <laughs> words. Yeah. A dozen <laughs> words for Life Force. I think that's apt. I think this is one of the most crazy batshit genre it's a blend. Kitchen sink movie. It's a buffet. It's, it, it is a buffet because you know maybe you want a little bit of space, a little aliens. Mm-hmm. Then maybe you want a little old school vampire tale, a little Hammerfield style. Right. Maybe you want a little bit of hot You know, whatever you feel, whatever you're in the mood for, Life Force has it. It's it really great. does. It has something for everyone. So this film was written by Dan O'Bannon, who obviously. Yeah. If you know the podcast, you know we love us some Dan O'Bannon, Alien, Return of the Living Dead, all of that, and also co-written by a gentleman by the name of 
Where is it here? Sorry, folks. It's a little dark out here. Uh, Don Jacoby. And this is obviously directed by Toby Hooper. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's a science fiction film. It's a horror film. It's an it's, apocalyptic film. Oh, my God. It's, yeah. Is it ever an yeah, apocalyptic film? So now that we've got the 12 words or less from Genius, I want to know your perspective, Dustin, because this is the first time you saw this film. This is the first time I saw this film, and I, I was kind of blown away, man. You know, it's, it's campy 80s fun, but it's one of those ones where you could definitely see yourself rewatching it because there is a little bit of everything in this film. You know, like Genius said, it is, it is a vampire film. It is a space film. It is an apocalypse film, you know. And then you have British Parliament films. It's like high, high drama. It is very. It is a very British film because that's the thing. You get you and you have a few immediately identifiable people, um, especially in the in the credits themselves. When Patrick Stewart comes up, it's just make it so. Immediately, everyone's like, "Oh shit, Patrick Stewart's in this!" Like, how did this happen? <laughs> Welcome because to my school. This is <laughs> it, that brings a lot of context <laughs> and scene. But this is a film that again didn't do well in its initial theatrical release but found an audience on home video yeah and i think i mean try how would you market this film to the general audience very carefully (laughs) (laughs) you will you are not prepared (laughs) really yeah you could do a disclaimer on one of these right well and think about i mean canon couldn't market this like they did cobra i mean because they didn't have the draw of a stallone no and even even when you have something like cobra where it's mainly action with a little bit of comedy right Mm -hmm. this one there was no no there was no comedy but it was just action and drama and intrigue and space vampires and just like how do you it's not it's not straight horror it's not straight no, sci-fi it's, and it's not drama it's not action but there's all it's, all of that is in there it's it's insane it's um almost if you if you if you've ever listened to the band Naked City um it's this crazy five piece um artistic movement is the best thing but they basically every album they do a different genre and they did like this really crazy like thrashy noise jazz album and they've got this song called Speed Freaks and it's 52 seconds long and it covers probably like 11 different weird musical genres. It sounds like you're going down the dial. <laughs> it's wonderfully chaotic, and it's kind of the same like feel I get with Life Force. It's yeah. just wonderfully chaotic. Yeah, there's a lot of different things for different people in this film. It, it really is. In fact, I mean, one of the things when I was re-watching it, what I was so surprised in, they reveal the space vampires, the space vampire bats. Yeah, within right off the bat. five minutes of the film. But even then, even before that, when you, you saw the uh, door open, and it's a coffin shape. It was fantastic. Yeah. So the whole premise is uh, this British parliamentary uh, space mission is out there. They're observing Halley's Comet, and they observe this long structure in the tail, which... It's an umbrella dick, basically. It truly is. It really is. It's Big old space penis. It is. It is a space penis. It's like a space umbrella penis, because it looks like it's got the top of an umbrella. It's Oswald Cobblepot's right? penis. The penguin <laughs> That's what they call uncut in space there, unfortunately. There's, <laughs> that's how they separate themselves from other <laughs> needle penis ships there. Uh, but they're they're drawn to it, they go into it, and that's when they discover these crazy, great practical space, like Just fossil, fossilized. Dried fossilized. mummy bats. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it gives you kind of like the, the space of the, of the spaceship, um, and one of the things I really like about it, again, the beautiful thing about this is 1985. You don't have CGI graphics, right? Everything's practical. practical, and it looks fan. It, I thought it looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I haven't seen this film in probably more than five years, so this was a fantastic rewatch. So this being your first time seeing this, what did you think about the special effects? Oh, the the special the effects were fantastic, man. You you think about when the essentially the zombification happens. And you have the people turn into dust. 
you didn't see that again in film until T two when the nuclear blast hit. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't you don't see a lot of that because at, at that point people started shifting toward more CGI. They tried to do more with computers, and it didn't work very well. And at that point, it wasn't just one person that turned into dust. It, it was, was a lot, lot of people, people that turned into dust There's... in different crazy ways. There is so much b- just dust blown in this mm-hmm. film. It's incredible. And speaking of special effects, those were uh, produced by John Dykstra, uh, who was actually did work in Star Wars and actually helped found Industrial Light and Magic. And it shows. It does show. It shows. The, the special effects in this film are top-notch. In fact, I got the, watching it this time, I got a very strong Return of the Living Dead feel with it again, especially in the apocalyptic scenes. Yes. And the autopsy scenes, mm-hmm. just in terms of when they're interrogating the zombie in Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, when I was thinking that too. But. And I don't know if it's necessarily the same effect. I don't think it's the same effects team, but it's that same style mm-hmm. where it seems so sterile. And, and and then there's ones where like I like the one where the blood shoots out of the guy's mouth and eyeballs while they're in the helicopter while they're in the helicopter and forms this like weird vortex and it's then all an, and then all of a sudden it just turns into like a bloody Matilda May just like naked like don't follow me and then it just turns into just goo and so we're 12 minutes in and this is the first time i'm very proud of us the first time we're mentioning miss matilda may on this <laughs> on this episode because she honestly i think she is the best special effect in this film yes, she is because yes, because let's be honest let's be honest in terms i know dustin this was your first viewing but genius you and i have seen this film quite a bit and mm-hmm. this is the start of the apocalypse we're talking about matilda may now this is the reason why this film stood out for me growing up. You I know, know that right? sounds horrible. No, but when you're 12 years old and you just see this literal goddess on screen. Uh, okay, so her character is supposed to be like almost the perfect woman. Mm-hmm. And God damn if casting didn't hit it on this run. I, I wasn't familiar with the platonic ideal and philosophy at that young age, but I was indirectly I exposed knew, to it because... I just knew she was pretty. Yeah. She's perfect. And in fact, there's a character in the film that's like, she's perfect. She's just perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she absolutely was. And it, it you know, kind of harkened back to, you know, 11-year-old Greg. She spends all but, like, two minutes of the film naked. Buck-ass naked. And, again, Buck yeah, ass this naked. is not to get pervy, but this is full frontal nudity. And, again, back in the day before the internet, that was a commodity. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the kind of film that you would watch again and again. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to bring it down. I came to age with this film. Yeah, this was this was... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and she is in this movie all of maybe 10 minutes. And this is almost a two-hour-long movie, but that's the impression she makes. And, again, not to like get pervy, said, they, but it's... They go, in the, they go in your mind and get from the furthest... What is that? The furthest region of the spank bank? Yeah, no, <laughs> it was the utter... As you can, it's the like, most primal instinct yeah. that she... That, that, <clears throat> that the space vampires pull out of people, which I always thought was kind of frightening. In fact, there's that first initial seduction scene with the guard when you just see him, and he looks like he's pulling, you know, just like that stupid thing. You're like, why are you going and unlocking it until you realize yeah he's drawn to her right like, like she a pheromone has, thing almost yes and when you of course when you look at her you kind of get like like <laughs> i'm ca- mad the casting in this film is unreal based on her performance and just in terms of i i will praise performances as matilda may-esque you know just in terms yes. of how amazing they are because she's sexy and scary and seductive and dangerous like a good vampire should be yes absolutely because if you look at it in a different light this is almost one of the perfect examples of a vampire movie even though it's set in space it still harkens back to the old ones almost even universal monster i would even say like the hammer ones as well right because you have the dark castle but it's in space yep you got the gorgeous seductive vampires but they're from space you know and even like where they have to have their tombs 
on the ground mm-hmm. somewhere coming from space. They use a church, a cathedral, a, a citadel of the dead. It's beautiful. It's just like, and it looks like an old haunted castle with just the dead bodies everywhere. It's it's a perfect vampire movie. You got to kill them with with the metal. And this came out in 1985, the same year as Fright Night, and then The Return of the Living Dead. Those are three. Of my all-time favorite '80s horror films came out in '85. That is unreal. Yeah, such it, such riches. '85 was a good year for horror. It really was a good year for horror, man. So, um, again, a little bit more about Matilda May is she was a dancer. She had no previous acting experience, and the re- the main reason she was cast was because she was comfortable doing nudity. And as it turns out, she you want to be a star, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing. There's there's a lot of talk. Golden like, Globe is just like. Okay, you you want to you take off the dress now? Oh, you don't comfortable taking off the dress? Then you're not in movie. Because that's one of the, the 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 connective fluid, if you will, in terms of canon films, is there was always a lot of nudity in the films and explosions and explosions. Oh yes, of course. Uh, but that's why it still has that kind of canon film to it. But she is just unabashedly naked in the film, and again, that's why it leaves such an impression. But ultimately, when you rewatch the film, you realize, though, why it still stays there. It's not necessarily because of Matilda May. It's because it is just the oh shit, that is just crazy moments that are peppered throughout the film. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unreal. Out of, out of nowhere. Yes. And uh, again, again, enough credit cannot be given to the special effects team on this film. Because to me, that's what really makes it more memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, just the fact that... Uh, you see London burning. London just catches on fire, and it happens out of nowhere. Exactly. That's what's beautiful about it, the fact that this whole... You mentioned it, Dustin. This is a, this is a straight-up apocalyptic right. film. And I think that was one of the things that I noticed that Hooper did really well, and I don't know whether or not it's his, his cinematographer or whatnot, but the entire film feels claustrophobic. I mean, you're in yes. space, and it's still claustrophobic. You're outside in London, and it's still claustrophobic. It's just weirdly shot. I mean, that's about the best way I can put it. But it's beautiful. There are oh, shots very in there pretty. where you can take just like a still and I'm like, that's a beautiful picture. Right when there. Colonel Carlson walks into the cathedral for the first time with all the life force going up. And all the just the, yeah, dead, the dead shells, the husks of human beings. That just was actually a very everywhere. pretty shot. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah. When the but, single spaceman's floating in the cave and oh, there's yeah. just a little bit of green on the side, but the rest is like pink and red. That's a great shot. It's beautiful. Well, they have those visual effects also. Um, not necessarily computer generated at that point. I know it was just more animated, but I still think holds up and yeah. makes it. It gives it that kind of space otherworldly, otherworldly feel. feel. Mm-hmm. Until <laughs> it brings it back home, and then shenanigans, <laughs> crazy shenanigans. But I'm glad you mentioned the claustrophobic feel because when I we were, we just rewatched this, um, and that's the first thing that came to mind when they're running through the city streets. I was like, oh my god, this feels. Like, I'm uncomfortable right now. And I think a lot of that was because, you know, if you notice a lot of the shots, they're shot from ground level, but you, they're in between buildings. Mm-hmm. So you have, like, the, the ominous architecture above you, but you also have the threat of the zombified, It you gives know. you the scope. Yeah, and really, exactly. Oh, and yeah, the shots with London going crazy. You mentioned they're still vampires, but they're, they give, give them more, like, zombie-like behavior mm-hmm. where they're just enmassing and rushing people. And it, he... He does chaos well because we even we noticed this, the family ran that way and there's a mother they're like oh shit they tried to run but the zombies got them that shit would happen people are still getting fucked up trying to get to this like uh, the the big the boss level people are still just like getting just ripped to shreds and there's thousands of them and I don't know how hard it would be to direct a scene like that because there are some long tracking shots in there where everything is on fire. 
and it's glorious to kind of think about the fact that and that's a real, real fire. fire. Well, yeah, and the other thing I really liked about this film, too, is like, you know, when you have typical zombie films or those type of films, the threat is always slow. Mm-hmm. And then up until, like, you know, 28 weeks later and 28 days later, you really didn't get, like, a fast presence of the of the antagonist. You know, but in this film, I mean, they were on you. And the zombies came out of nowhere. That's the thing. Yeah. First, you're fucking with vampires. Next thing you know, oh, fuck, zombies. And it's great because you're getting it via radio report, basically, this with this proper lad saying, like, guys, London, I can't do it. But, you know, London is pretty much effed right now. Like <laughs> London burning. London's, yeah. <laughs> we, 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 I'm we, sure they were trying to get the clash for that, <laughs> but sadly, they're like, no, guys, come on. We now in this broadcast day. Bum, 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 bum. God save the queen on that. Uh, very British. Uh, a lot of the actors not very familiar with, except for, of course, Sir Patrick, Patrick, Stewart. Patrick Stewart. And he has one of the other kind of weird, bizarre sequences in this film. Because there's an entire sequence where they're tracking the space vampire as she's leaping from body to body. Mm-hmm. And Colonel Carson has this, like, psychic connection with her. And, and through, like, love. Yeah. And and through, the, it's, yeah the, and, but it's weird because right before Patrick Stewart, he, like... He sees this girl, and she's apparently like the sadomasochist. And so, yeah, so she, uh, Matilda May jumps into this, uh, this pre-like, um, um, uh, oh my God, um, Tom Cruise's old wife. Uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman, yes. She's very much a Nicole Kidman lookalike. Um, and she's in her, she's seducing a man, trying to pull his energy force, but he can see through her. And then ultimately... He roughs her up a he little r- bit. But it's weird, is she apparently lives at some, like, hospital for the insane. <laughs> so that's where it takes the weirdest turn. Yeah, it's, it's a... It's 180 degrees of that. It really point. is. And this is why I remember also Harley this. Quinn origin. Yes. I would, not, I would not have been surprised had you got that. Because it is such a weird tonal shift it takes. And I even remember watching this as a kid being, like, not put off by it, but going, what is this? Because it's so weird. Because he does. He starts roughing her up. But with the rationale of this is how I reach her. You know, this she's, is how I can. She's a masochist. How do you know? <laughs> I, I know. Trust me. And so we, we had we 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 did it in space. It's, yes. uh, it's don't trust me. She likes it rough. And so you the know? whole idea is like there's the two consciousnesses are in there and they're battling for each other. And but yeah, apparently and, the ginger is a masochist. And then they go to Patrick Stewart, and then it uh. just gets even weirder because <laughs> Patrick Stewart's strapped down. Right on the table, and the man is like, "Because Matilda May has actually, you know, switched over to switched him." Switched over to him, and he's like, "Give me the answers." And then it shows Matilda May on the screen, right? And he goes, "I don't know." And then it shows Patrick Stewart looking like, "You know, you want to kiss me? Give Just, me a, make it so, yes, right? you know." <laughs> oh, but man, you know, before that though, you know, I, I'm a huge Patrick Stewart fan. Liked him on the Next Generation and all mm-hmm. that, but. When when he screams, oh his that screams, blood his screams are terrifying. Actually, the screams and the noises that the the zombified, mummified remains make are frightening. Yeah, I had forgotten how scary that legitimately was. Watching it this time, I was I was unsettled. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, oh yeah, this is also when the horror hits in this film, it really hits. And it looks like getting your life force sucked out would be extremely painful. You go from it, the highest. It looks of like highs. you just took a peek into the the Ark of the, the Covenant, Ark. and then it's painful when. You can't get in when you can't get some more. The, and the way that's portrayed is awful. Well, it's it, obviously the drug metaphor with the vampires in terms of withdrawal and so forth. I uh, would a little too on the nose there, but it's still it's still nice. Uh, but yeah, no, just the way that works. Um, I mentioned the the similar parallels to Return of the Living Dead with the the zombified remains. The, mm-hmm. It hurts to be dead, but yeah. it looks like the same kind it of existence. Hurts to be dead, yeah. Which makes me wonder if Dan O'Bannon has like a, a theme with that, just in terms of you know the awfulness of our existence and shit. Oh man, right? Dan Debo Bannon. Debo, yeah. 
Check it out, my soul, homie. <laughs> Nothing. I'm going to write a story about how it's going to suck to be when we're dead. So, okay, Dan. You got it, Dan. And so um, it ends it, it ends kind of abruptly as well. Um, but the fact that they say that they even mention the fact that these are the vampires that actually. That started the stories. That started yeah. the stories. And the fact that this isn't the first time they've been here, that they're destroyer of worlds. So it lends that whole apocalyptic kind of feel to it, which makes me wonder, do you think could you do an expanded life force universe where you find, you know, them on other planets? Because they mentioned that the only reason they looked human was again because they pulled from the you know the very back recesses of what they thought was like mo- the most feminine and the most masculine. Hmm. I think you could. I'd like to see Life Force on Predator World on the Predator or Life or, uh, Life Force on LV four two six. Just seeing them, just because you, you can imagine that would just basically be a very feminine predator just using her wiles. Hey guys, <laughs> it's got like bows and the dreads, like like long She's, lashes. The predators wearing a dress, right? <laughs> like when Bugs Bunny tried to seduce Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Great way to confuse kids. Now, come on now. <laughs> the predators like. <laughs> I'm a voyeur. <laughs> oh, that was a line from the movie, too. Yeah, that's not improv. That's literally <laughs> after the fact that she admits that she's a masochist. He's like, I'm a, I'm a voyeur. voyeur. Go ahead. And then he just kind of kicks back. He does kick back. Hangs out on her sofa. And then he decides to make out with Patrick Stewart. And Yes, and, let's, and that's what I'm just imagining. You know, him just like, turn the holodeck off. <laughs> Wesley, simulation Wesley. over. <laughs> He's just having a nightmare. In stimulation, I mean simulation. <laughs> and that's about the last we see of Patrick Stewart in the film until uh, he's one of the victims of the whole of blood the whole bloodletting. <laughs> and that's a horrific scene as well. And again, Sanguination, man, it comes out of nowhere, and it it didn't necessarily add anything to the film, but just made it more gruesome. It just it showed like. Uh, they have powers, yeah, the, oh, the vampire yeah. powers, like the old ones, like they can turn into a bat, shapeshifters, which was a sweet, sweet. It bat was a good bat. End. I wish they had a little bit more of that bat, but that was a good like reveal. Oh yeah, when he's in the midst of his dream. Yeah, no, 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 no. At the very oh, end. at the very end, yeah, yeah, that's a good bat. But then he like okay, so basically had the vampire, the old school vampire powers, had turned into a bat, mm-hmm. could like shape into like a blood or like a mist. And it had the power to seduce you in your dreams. And the seduction element yeah. is another powerful theme in this film. The fact that it's just, they, the way they ex- explain it, it's just this pure primal instinct. And, and I ain't even going to lie, man. Every time. I, I ain't even going to lie, man. That that dream seduction sequence, it's pretty fucking hot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sexy. It's, Again, there's a reason why this film is so ingrained in many of our minds. <laughs> it's twofold. It's, you know, it's the Matilda May aspect, but mm-hmm. then it's also there's the craziness of it. Now, that being said, do you think this film plays well better in, like, just the home viewing? or this Because this is one I haven't seen on the big screen. And if we have within our powers, because, you know, we do program over at the Alamo for the horror show series, mm-hmm. this is one I really think we should explore to see if we could show on 35. Oh, my God. Because I think this would be a fun one, especially because, again, I don't think a lot of people know of this film. Mm-hmm. So this would be a chance to kind of expose them to, again, just make them part of a better, bigger world. Right. So you being the first time, what would you tell somebody about it? Oh, I don't even know where you would go with this one, honestly. I mean, you would you would definitely have to add in, you know, the, the space element. Uh-huh. I mean, because that's a lot of what it is. Mm-hmm. You would have to add in vampires. But how do you explain that to somebody? Well, how would you, what would you think would be the best, like, when you, you I, I think going in cold is the best way to do this. Yeah. 
But how would you like? Because he said, would you do like home? Vi- would you watch it like by yourself? Would you want to watch it with the crowd? You know, how would you? Or, oh, I definitely wouldn't want to watch this with a crowd, man. Right. I mean, I know I realize you guys are pro- you're programming the horror show, in which that would be cool. But man, how many awkward boners would you get during a lot of the scenes? <laughs> I could watch this movie, and I have watched this movie by myself. <laughs> but you know, for di- right, but it's a good movie. It you really know? is. It really is. Yeah. So yeah, all, all jokes aside, it is a good film. And there's know? a reason you know we're focusing on as the cult callback because this is a film that truly deserves a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. And given the fact that it's a Toby Hooper film. It's really, it's bizarre that a lot of people go, oh, I forgot he did that. Yeah, that it just kind of got buried in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it has to do with the fact that it was a canon films and the fact that they didn't have the best reputation. Right. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, in th- this was actually one of their big, 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 biggest budgeted films. Uh, this and Masters of the Universe. And it shows. Oh, and it, yeah. And you, it just, like, the, the, the sets, the designs, the even the fucking score by the London H- Symphony Orchestra. Henry Mancini composed that, and it's phenomenal. Because it's like, dun 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 It's like, just right out the gate. Bum, 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 bum. And like, you need something epic like that, for, mm-hmm. especially if you have a sci-fi element. Because with, when you think science fiction, you do have to be bombastic. Yeah. And I'm glad it actually it, it came with a thunder with that one. In fact, <laughs> to the point where this weekend, if I see this on vinyl, I'm snatching it up, man. In fact, if I see that Scream Factory version, I'm snatching it up. <laughs> because they have a, a current interview with Miss Matilda May. And as I mentioned before... That she still looks phenomenal. She's still gorgeous. I am not convinced at this point that she's not a space vampire. <laughs> yeah, just like just like Elvira. I mean, mm-hmm. ooh, yeah. No, just aged so like, wonderfully, like fine wine. Sincerely, it's it's kind of scary how well she's aged. Um, but I definitely want to see kind of her opinion of it because let me ask you this: Do you think her performance or is any kind of exploitive? Aside from the sadomasochism and like, but that wasn't Matilda and, uh, May, right? You right. know, so I think she comes off as being sexy and powerful and dangerous at the same time, where she's she's using her own sexuality to get what we want, as opposed to being sexualized. Mm-hmm. She's hypnotizing the men on what she wants them to see. Is this an empowering it, role? I would say so. I mean, I, because she's projecting that what what the men want to see, mm-hmm. and then using them for essentially their life force. I mean, mm-hmm. that sounds cheesy and cliche, but that's, no, exactly, that's exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah. I think that's why it works pretty well is the fact that it does work on a purely primal, instinctual plane. Yeah, because she's not saying, "Look at me." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and, like, you know, all kidding aside, I know we make a lot of you know sexualized mm-hmm. jokes and, and you know crude humor and whatnot, but you don't see anything besides just her standing, mm-hmm. you know, upright. And then uh, you, I mean, you don't see any, like, sexualized imagery Nothing of her crawling across like a that. bed nope. or anything. So, I mean, the, the imagery of it is, is very empowering for her particular being in this film. Yeah. Because, essentially, everything is everything is being played out in the, in the minds of the men. Because mm-hmm. even, lo- even in the sex scene, she's in control. Oh, yeah. She's constantly in control. She's of, pulling a lily from the Bible. Right. Which she's, is... <laughs> yeah, because he there even says multiple times, you know, you're taking too much from me. You're mm-hmm. taking too much from me. So she definitely does have they control. They developed this really weird symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. that... I, <sighs> And I don't, I don't want to say anything bad about Steve Rausbach uh, in terms of his performance, but he's a little bit... I mean, he's kind of the Yankee in yeah. this British film for the most part. Um, but he's over the top, too. Very much so, especially when he's um, you know, going through his therapeutic methods there. A little <laughs> controversial. <laughs> I, it was just such a weird... Um, but yeah, he, I, I'm just not as connected with his character. But oh, the, the one I really dug um, was uh, Dr. Falada, Professor Falada. <laughs> 
who is pretty much like the uh, the the Peter, Peter Cushing right. you know character they, they in the tell film you about the vampires <laughs> because he's got the big thick white mane uh-huh. and he's the one that figures out how to kill them. And the first time you meet him, he's like, "Well, what are you a doctor of death? Oh, doctor of death? Of course, <laughs> I of course you death are in the afterlife. Yes." And it's kind of thematically nice because it's Oh, the, go get Hank and Dean! The di- enemies of darkness are coming to the life force! You could have actually had Jefferson uh, Jefferson there from uh, the triad as well, so it would have worked nicely. But he's the one that also unearthed this, this amazing... Which is badass Game of Thrones weapon. It should have had its own name. It was so epic. And it, what was well, it? Well, okay, it was a big sword with like a claw on it too. So here's my question: I'm gonna pose to you guys. What would you name the sword? Because it has to have a name. Uh huh. Oh my god! Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer. Uh, I would have to say something like um, Soul Sucker or something like that. Night Vanquisher. Ooh, ooh. Vampirator. Vampirator. <laughs> Yeah, the Night Vanquisher. I like the Night Vanquisher. I do I too. Think that's a, yeah, we go but what is this? One. But what is it? Because it's not necessarily a sword. It's, it's not Valerian necessarily a spear. steel, dude. <laughs> that's all there is to it. It's incredible. Steel. It's, it's like Crom Sword. It's, it's, it is Crom Sword. He solved the riddle of steel. That's no what shit. I want to know who the armorer was for this movie because that thing is amazing. It is fucking bad. And the pantheon of great we- uh, like on-screen weapons, I think that ranks up there and because the, it's so wholly <laughs> unique. And the only problem is you didn't see the old man whoop ass. No, you didn't. I kind of wanted to see the old man like. I kick ass for science. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been kind of a movie, but he also goes out tragically. He was actually, and he's the one that figures out how to kill them. And he's like, it's not through the heart like we thought, but through two inches below. (laughs) And he's imparting, again, this like, you know, Van Helsing-esque wisdom, as it were, from an old Hammer film. Uh, But he also ultimately succumbs to the vampires as well, which does it mean that he got, you know, with the dude? (laughs) <laughs> uh oh, Todd wants to boof us. You know? I just, but it was it was awesome to see like they're even like the prime ministers in the safe house. Oh, and just the virus is just spreading the, the whole. Yeah, they, vam- the no one's safe. Vi- yeah, nothing. So yeah, it's it's very intense to think how quickly. But it's kind of fucked up how Va- Van Helsing spoilers how Van Helsing <laughs> dies. Cause, oh, like, the, when he just starts. Yeah, because he's like, I'm going to find out my death question because he gets shot. Because he's fine, but he's crazy. No, no, no. Remember? Because he started, his head started bubbling. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but I thought that was something else. Like, he's so happy that, like, he's going to find out that there's life after death. Like, he that was, was so his, smart. Yeah, that's like, that well, was I, his, Yeah, I definitely, but didn't you, I thought he was, like, starting he to, He was like, bubbling, but I was just like, he's like, Oh, but yeah. yeah. I was, yeah, and then he just farts and it goes away. He did, oh, God, and it's so horrid. Yeah. The he way farts that out his life force. Well, if you think. Yeah, it, I felt like I've done that before a couple of times. Shit. You think about uh, Bubba Hotep and the fact that he extracts <laughs> souls from their assholes. Mm-hmm. It's so horrific. So horrific. And it all it does ultimately climax because then you have the alien ship coming out of Halley's Comet and orbiting directly above Earth. So you get more of that science fiction element and in it there. It turns an Independence Day. Just it like, truly does. Like, that's where I think he drew his inspiration from. Yeah. At least I'd like to think so. Because you got this big giant monolith just with the souls just going up into it. like, And it's really cool looking lens flaring effect. Yeah, and it also, again, kind of takes that pull from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark yep. as well. I mean, it's it's definitely borrowing from a lot, but make putting it through a Toby Hooper filter. Mm-hmm. And it's coming out just gloriously weird. Because... How again? How do you classify a film like this? Because it starts off in space. Then you have vampires. So you've got your science fiction. Then you've right. got your horror. And then the then the mummies come out. Then you have old school old horror school that turned into the dust. Then you have them talking about British par- Parliament and shit like that. So then it gets a little bit of like next time on Downton Abbey. A little Abbey. bit of pre- yes, right? yes. Then it goes into the insane asylum. 
Then it gets all like kind of like whippets and chains in it, and all and the then while peppered with just incredible vampires, gore, vampires, gore, and then it just all of a sudden, hey. Why not throw a zombie apocalypse? And you know what? During the middle of the apocalypse, let's have aliens invade, too. It's like, shit, we're fucked. And this is, yeah, the the, the scene that is projected and predict, uh, in this film, it's just scary. Again, I was legitimately kind of terrified. And I remember watching this as a kid. This is one of the scenes. That whole apocalyptic finale scared the shit out of me. And to me, it was still effective to this day. Oh, it was definitely effective. I mean, the the whole apocalypse piece of it was what really got me, just because it was so frantic. <laughs> yes, you, you know, because the 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 movie built up to that point, and they were like trying to figure out exactly what was happening, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, all right, we've got it. They're vampires. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, oh shit, we don't have it because we can't control it. You know, <laughs> so it was just all over the place. But then, how also? Not, those were they're worse than regular vampires because vampires will suck your blood and then maybe now and then turn you into a vampire, but you mm-hmm. still have your consciousness and stuff. They take your mind too. They take your soul. They take. He legitimately <laughs> says those are souls going up there, man. Yeah. That's frightening. Yeah, because you can't control. You're not no longer in control. You mm-hmm. just see yourself doing horrible shit and feeling your soul getting sucked out of your gut. The genius has to have two spaceships because you got too much soul, bro. Hit me, baby. <laughs> well, again, given the choice of Matilda May or what have you, it's because I ain't even mad, man. I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Matilda. Come on, I'm ready. <laughs> Do your worst, if Take you will. Take me now, Patrick. I mean, uh, Matilda May. <laughs> Just a great scene. So much to offer. I really, really hope one day we can screen this on the theater because I think it, it's uh, remember. I think I like a really good triple feature. Oh move, yeah, oh yes. Would be start with Life Force. Start with Life Force, then move on to Event Horizon, and then move on to. Uh, in the mouth, in mouth of madness, of madness. Yep. So you have the space and then you have crazy space and then sam neil or you know what you could even do the dan abandoned triple feature where you have the aliens so basically if you take aliens mm-hmm. you take return of the living dead you mix them together and throw some madness in you have life force so you could do alien return of the living dead and life Force. oh that's a really yeah. good shit all dan abandoned too man yeah you know uh we, many years you know here in the future we've got a lot of horror marathons that we've got a program so we obviously have some themes that we can touch upon there because that would be fantastic because you want to talk about films that are fun play well to a theater well a, what yeah, i assume absolutely. would play well to an audience and i think you know obviously you're going to have some hardcore fans there the mm-hmm. ones that are seeking this out but the beautiful part is when you have the ones that are seeing it for the first time especially like you've got like sci-fi like hey this mm-hmm. is a cool sci-fi movie like, how did you horror. sell it to dustin was it just hey, hey come we're gonna over. watch it yeah like, <laughs> come over dude we're gonna watch life force what's it about no nah, it's good you'll like it you'll like it you'll like it <laughs> and that's so again just in all honesty this is this is one you dug dustin oh yeah you know i'm not gonna say you know it's a plus or anything right. like that no 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 I, I would definitely give it a high b low a i mean it's it's got a little bit of everything i mean it I never once did I sit there and go, oh man, I wish, just wish this movie would end. You know, I, I actually wanted to see what the characters played out like. I wanted to see what the plot lines did. You know, it was a good film. Was there something that you would like, uh, if you could tweak it a little bit, or like you wanted a little complaint or anything like that? Uh, I think a little bit of the 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 British Parliament slash military, like the SAS, trying to figure everything out, was kind of a little drawn out. Um, they they did a lot of talking during that point, and it kind of got lost a little bit because if you, if you look at it, you know the beginning part is really suspenseful. Um, there, there's a lot of fright, a lot of dread that's kind of built up there. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of goes dry for about five minutes, and then all of a sudden, it goes into the vampiric piece, and then all of a sudden, you'll batshit crazy apocalypse at the end. There is a pacing mm-hmm. issue that I yeah. would definitely, I definitely think can kind of hinder the film, especially to maybe a younger audience that may not. And I don't think you have to have patience for this film because this viewing, I had a lot of fun with. Right. Um, I didn't really, but I could definitely tell 
if someone was looking to not enjoy the film, that's probably the first thing they're going to focus right. on. Well, I don't understand what they're speaking. Um, English, dude. It's Eng- <laughs> the King's English. What I'll, I say? I'll be honest, though. The first time I saw Attack the Block, I had to turn the subtitles on. I know that's horrible. <laughs> but that Cockney accent was so thick. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. Yeah. I'll just, and I, I felt no shame. I was by myself because, of course, I didn't see that in the theater. Bad Greg, which was a great one. We should probably talk about another cult callback on that yeah. one. Uh, but, no, this is a fantastic film. In fact, unfortunately, um, Scream Factory does have a great edition of it, but it's out of print. Um, and that's the one that goes for, like, 60 bucks on eBay. So oh, I'll be man. honest. Yeesh. That's one of the ones I'm looking for this weekend to see if I can find a cheaper used copy of it. Uh, so keep on the lookout for that. Will do. Audience guys, listeners, you know, if you're in the Kansas City area, come to Crypticon, you happen to see it. Hey, you know what? I'll buy it from you. <laughs> Just saying. Because uh, the edition de- I have, it's decent, but it only has a couple copies. It doesn't have all the good stuff, you yeah. know. And this is a, So you can get it on regular DVD and Blu-ray. Um, I know you can definitely get it streaming through Amazon. But definitely check this one out because it's a lot a lot of, in fact, I don't even think talking about it the way we have so passionately, descriptively, I don't think we've even touched it, If you you know, in terms of what the experience is like. No, there's a lot of shit that gets going on. It's great. Yeah, yeah, and, and the visual piece of it is, is amazing considering it came out in 85. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the lighting and, and just the way that everything is shot is, is pretty incredible it, considering the, the technology that was then. And all the practical special effects. You know, I mean, all the zombies look great. Oh, and, and we even commented that one that that one zombie burned a little too long. I yeah, think the, the fire, stunts, yeah, the yeah. fire extinguisher guy yeah. kind of fell down on the oh, job oops. there. Oops. I was waiting for that scene to cut, and it just kept going. And it's like, oh my good lord! Like <laughs> someone probably got hurt during that. No, very intense. Yeah, Stiff up a lip and all. I'm fine. I'm fine. Douse him with tea. Just a flesh wound. Right. <laughs> at, the, at that point, I was expecting a bunny to come hopping out at one point or another, but no. Why not? There's everything else. Vampires, zombies, and aliens. That's so. the one thing with the Toby Hooper films and the Canon films is they do throw a lot, especially this film in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. The fact that Invaders of Mars is really the more subdued, subdued effort, <laughs> which is kind of funny, considering you know you have people eating frogs and shit, which is fantastic. <laughs> Fucking just big, like, big Muppet monsters yes. coming at you. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. But yeah, this is such a fun... Fun, fun film. Highly recommend it. So, Dustin, I'd like to thank you for giving us your perspective. I appreciate it, guys. And thank uh, you where can much. our listeners find you out on Twitter? Uh, they can find me, me personally, at DN Pryor. Uh, just look for the, the picture of Yoda with the headphones or, or look for Pelon. <laughs> or you can find me at Media Rewind Pod. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, and genius, thank you very much for uh, coming and chilling and recording afterwards like this. It was, uh, you know. Any well, chance to watch Life Force. Right, right. <laughs> okay, and until next week, guys, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. <laughs> <laughs>